The story of David and Goliath is one of the best-known stories in the Bible. Children are aware of it. Long before I was a Christian, I knew of it. The, the sports world liked to say in the good old days when, when uh, the, the Warriors in basketball was doing their thing and Toronto would play them, they would say it's like David and Goliath. Toronto was uh, David and Goliath was the Warriors because nobody beat them until last year. In the, in the, in the business world, when I, a, a, a business that is just little ma and pa store try to do Amazon, it's like David and Goliath, and they use that term. Books have been written dealing with it. And I want to use this story to go beyond the, 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 the known, the familiar. I want you to see that we are living in a world that is like Goliath to the church. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Up until two years ago, 41% of Americans, Americans attended church every Sunday. 41%. Today, less than 29% do. We are now like David in the world. It is, it is not my burden to challenge you as we enter into the new year, the decade, uh, but I want to place before you how we are going to face it. Because make no mistake about it, dear friends, you and I will face difficulties as we have never faced before. That's, I'm, not, I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of one, but that I can say for sure. I can tell you right now of things that are happening with the church that is going to be like David and Goliath. And if you believe the scriptures as God's eternal word, you will be a David in this world. We will be a David in this world if we hold on to what is known as orthodoxy in theology and church, uh, church life. So I take this story to be the story almost like a parable. It is saying something about us and it is saying something about the world in which we live. And I'm going to do a, what is known as a running commentary as we go, so I will not be stopping at everything and dealing with every, um, uh, e everything in the text, but for the purpose for which I have seen it. I want us to look, first of all, at what I call the defiance of Goliath. The defiance of Goliath. If you read the text, you will notice that he just happened to come. He just, he just appeared. The Philistines and the Jews and the Israeli people were always at fight, at, at war, but this has never happened before. And he came out from their midst. They had never seen him. And one of the most interesting things I find with this text is the fact that if anybody was supposed to stand up to Goliath, it should have been Saul. Not only because he was king, but because he was the tallest Israeli in the whole army. He was tall and he was, he, he was everything of a man's man, if you please. 
But when Goliath came, Saul found himself at odds with someone that was bigger than he is. And I want to talk with you just momentarily to what I call the appearance of Goliath. I'm not talking about how he came. I'm talking about his person. Who was this man? And again, we won't deal with everything. His appearance was frightening as we have already seen. He was almost 10 feet tall. Most commentators said that he was about 9 feet 9 inches tall. So I just rounded off to 10 feet tall. His armor weighed 126 pounds. Now I, I go to the store each week to get 5 gallons of water. And, and when I get my gallon of water, uh, that's heavy stuff. But he was carrying around every day 126 pounds of armor. His helmet weighed 15 to 16 pounds. I mean, this was not a small boy. Nothing he wore was natural. I think Shaquille O'Neal size 22 is what he wears. I mean, I would fit right into his back pocket, if you please. Uh, and as we enter the new decade, as we enter the new year, we are going to be facing giants. They, they, they were peeking over the, the, the threshold for the last four years, but they have now come out in the open, and they are so defiant of anything that was good yesterday that they're trying to destroy them as we think of them. Some of you will remember. I remember living in Canada at the time when prayers were forbidden in schools. When the name of God was forbidden uh, a prayer at, 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 at a football game. Some of you remember what Tim Tebow went through just because he wanted to display. Interesting, isn't it? I never thought of that. He got castigated for kneeling down to say prayer. And this guy from the 49ers is, is celebrated by Nike. <laughs> that, that's where we are. Don't even think of it. Can't even. Carpenter or whatever his name is. I don't know. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so as we are facing these giants, what is the key giant that we are facing? I have two. One I will speak about at the beginning of the service here and at the end of the service. The giant that we are going to face as we face a new year, a new decade, is the giant of a moral and sexual revolution. A moral and sexual revolution. Have you ever thought, my friends, that we cannot talk about anything today, but that it, it's, it goes right to sexual preferences, sexual interpretation. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, even you read the story of David and, uh, and Jonathan. That for that community is now seen as, oh, they had a sexual uh, gay relationship. Nothing could be further from the truth. But that's where we are. Everything we do comes down to a sexual and a moral relationship. In 1994, Bob Knight, who um, 
worked with a Christian organization, made the statement that the ultimate movement of the gay community, the ultimate goal is the criminalization of Christianity, to criminalize Christianity. Before that year was finished, this came from that community. The road to sexual emancipation, though long and difficult, is not endless. Someday, we will find the courage to declare that freedom of sexual expression does not mean merely a license to cast off sexual inhibitions. Rather, it means the freedom to love another person on a consensual adult basis without fear or penalty or recrimination. Such freedom implies that sex is morally neutral, a position increasingly being adopted by enlightened elements within the Christian community. That is true, and I'm not, I won't go into it right now. Finally, finally, universal freedom of sexual expression means that no sexual group has any claim on any high moral ground. Our goal, our goal is to remove any moral ground for sexual expression as we deem it. That was written right after Bob Knight said what he did. The moral revolution, my friends, there is not only that. Some of you in here work in places where there is a revolution in language. How we say things, how we, how we, there's a father in British Columbia who cannot address his daughter as she because the court said she must be addressed as he and if the father fails to do it, the father will be accused of child abuse. You might be interested, I, Carl found this one to be very interesting, but I was telling them the other night. Oxford Dictionary says that the word of the year, the word of the year in Oxford Dictionary is the word they. T-H-E-Y. Because that word no longer relates to an amount of people. It is what the speaker wants the word to say. So that if I say they are coming, I, I, I thought of, when I read that, I thought, can you ask, if they call 911, can you ask, where are they? Because they don't want you to say, and I'll, I'll, you'll see how stupid this is later on as I tell you some other things. I just want you to know, I don't want to... to, to enumerate them for you, but for you to know that there's a revolution taking place, my friends, and we are a part of it. I want you to see the arrogance of Goliath, not only his appearance. In verses 8 to 10, he said, if you send me a man that can kill me, then we will serve you. And by the way, that's a lie, because he was killed and they still didn't do it. If, 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 if you kill me, we will serve you. If I kill you, you will serve me. What I'm getting at quickly here is that there's no middle ground with Goliath. Death. Death to you or death to me, 
but no middle ground. Middle ground, without any 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 identification of certain biblical truth, we cannot claim biblical truth for anything that is happening in in our culture today. I want you to I want you to listen to this. So most of you know who uh, J.K. Rowling is, the lady that wrote the uh, Harry Potter. Thank you so much. I'm psyching out on these things this morning because I don't always deal with them. She has been the darling of this revolution. They loved her. But last week they disowned her. Because she dared to say that a man should not take place even though he may change, that a man is a man is a man. And as a result of that, she is now being ostracized by this revolution. She's not the only one. They have stopped meetings with her and everything because there's no middle ground. Either you succumb to what I am saying or there is no uh, middle ground for my, either you or me. The moral revolution is now complete that those who will not join it are understood to be defiant, intolerant, and harmful to society. What was previously understood to be immoral is now celebrated as good. That's where we are. I, I have... I'm looking at the, at, at the time here. Almost every evangelical school that's, that has the Bible as a curriculum is, is now targeted by this revolution. Almost every, every, the only school that are not targeted are those schools that have already submitted to what they're demanding, this death. Either you die or die, but there's no meeting place. That's how arrogant this group is. Um, you know, I mentioned this, that, that Chick-fil-A, pressured by this revolutionary group, stop supporting the Salvation Army for the only reason that the Salvation Army says that marriage is between a man and a woman and they believe, as was said before, that they want to see a society in which there's no difference. A man can marry whoever he wants to marry without any, any discrimination at all. And now Chick-fil-A has stopped because they want to open businesses. Just every place they have gone, they have met with the resistance of this revolution. The dread, the dread, the dread of Goliath. Look, look if you please in verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard the words, when they heard the words, this, this, if you look in verse 11, they were afraid. They were held in, in dread of the message when they heard the words. That word means oral communication. Christians and schools that are biblically based are having to live in fear that some of their policies which were considered to be sacred, listen, five years ago are now not sacred anymore. Five years That's the challenge 
that we face. Voices are heard changing the whole moral structure of our world. And if your pastor is called upon to perform a wedding with two men or two women and he refuses, he can be put in prison. Let me suggest to you that some of this is taking place in the country I come from north of here. Any view, any moral view that says this is right and this is wrong, that view will be condemned. It is happening right now. The dread of the man, they dread the message when they heard the words. And my friends, how those words are coming out. I sit in front of my laptop and I listen to some of the, the diatribe that's coming from some of these people and I can hardly believe that people in their right minds think that way. The dread of the man. Verse 24. When all Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were afraid. Believe it or not, this revolution is so powerful that nobody escapes its approach. Nobody. Doesn't matter who. And if some of you, and I hope this, this does not mean political because that is, I'm not interested in politics at all. But if you listen to some of those who are on stage right now concerning their view of the church, if those people become, or any of those three people become president of the United States, my friends, this country will not be the country that you were born in and love. I, I don't say that again as a prophet or the son of one, just that if a nation forgets God, that nation will perish. That's what the Bible says. And they are saying it. Some of them are bold enough. And they will say it in order to get the votes. The turning point of this country, the turning point of this country was June 26, 2015. When the Supreme Court of this country opened the floodgates for sexual revolution that we're facing today. That was the day when the President of the United States, a few days before, had changed his mind about marriage and what it is to say that he sees no reason why a man cannot be married to a man or a woman to a woman and the Supreme Court went along and we are paying the price today. And we as a church now stand in awe. As a church, we are wondering what are we going to do if? I think I reminded you a few days ago about when that very president asked a Christian man to pray at his inauguration, he was given the idea but do not use the name of Jesus when you do. That's where we are. 
And when they saw the man, you don't know and I don't know. But my friends, there is a voice behind this revolution so that whatever happens in any part of the world, there is a similar reaction to it from every other corner of the world. Somebody's behind it. Somebody's paying for it. I don't know who. There are names that I can suggest, but I would be remiss in so doing. What I'm saying is that we have individual voices that are so powerful today that when they speak, you know, think I used, I used to watch the, the program Who's the Boss? And that little girl that used to be on that is the one who started the Me Too campaign. And she wants nothing to do. In fact, she mentioned not too long ago, I have had two abortions in one year and I don't think anything about it. So here we are. The defiance, the dread. How are we going to meet this? And, and, and may I suggest in Acts chapter 5, Peter and the church was told, stop using the name of Jesus. Don't use that name. And listen to Peter. We must obey God rather than man. And my friends, that's where I stand. And I ask you, is that where you stand? Because I'm going to tell you what is happening. The naturalization of this revolution is seen that the majority of Americans will not do anything about it. They almost sympathize with it. And that's why it's as bold as it is. Where there was a resistance in even non-church-going people in that day, that's no longer the case. No longer the case. There is a sympathy for this group. I had one pastor who, a well-known pastor, who officiated at the wedding of his son to another man. He was celebrated for it. But my friends, I say again, we must obey God rather than man. Jesus, when he was asked about marriage, says, from the beginning it was not so. And this is where the big battle is for us right now. Let me quickly get to the defeat of Goliath. To defeat our dread. We're fearful of what might happen next. Now let's look at the defeat. I want you to look in verse 43 of 1 Samuel 17. Verse 43. Let me read it because time is going. He said this, Then the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. My friends, that is significant. Because at the bottom of the physical was the spiritual. And the spiritual was to exchange God, to evict God from his place. And if we win... The name of Jehovah will no longer be used. And, and so when he used his God's name to curse David, he was hoping that he could kill this little boy so that his God would take the place of Jehovah in Israel. And again, that would, that's a whole other message. I won't even go there right now. But let's look quickly at this text in verse 42. 
important. The mistake, the mistake that Goliath made, the mistake that Goliath made, he saw David as a mere man, a, a, a little boy. Everyone believes that David was about 16 or 17 at this point. He saw him as no match for him. And in verse 42, David said to him, you come to me with all your equipments. And believe me, friends, this revolution has a lot of money and people and influence, including Hollywood, that they can promote what they want to. And we feel so dwarfed in their presence. So D David said this, you come to me with all this, all that you have, but I come to you in the name of the Lord whom you have actually blasphemed against. We must see this revolution not us against people, but us against the devil, us against Satan, for he is behind what is going. I think it's interesting that Randy should have read from Ephesians 2, because I didn't tell anyone what I was speaking on this morning. And in Ephesians 2, Paul talks about the spirit that is now at work in the children of disobedience. The spirit, that is, we can't see where it's coming from, but it's there. And we hear things. And we see things, but I come to you in the name of the Lord our God. Let me quickly say this. The mistake that he made is the mistake that this revolution is making right now. Because they see the church as dwindling. They see the church as almost becoming invisible. But God made a promise to the church, my friends, and here's the promise. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's a promise. And he went to him because the same promise was given to Joshua years before. As I was with Joshua, so I will be with you. Listen, number one. God does not deliver by numbers. He does not deliver by sword and spear. Please listen now. This revolutionary drive that's taking place is harsh, deceptive, devilish. But may I say something to you? No Goliath is capable of overthrowing God. No Goliath. It's powerful. God has shown. And look at what God did. <laughs> it's a mistake that, that he made that uh, Goliath made. Consider your calling, brothers. Many of you were not wise according to the worldly standards. Not many powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And my friends, in the eyes of the Goliaths then and now, we are just a bunch of ignorant people who don't know any better. And because we all need someone to worship, we have chosen this God, not the case. 
not the case. We are not religious to satisfy our human curiosity. We are religious because great is the mystery of godliness. God came into human history and placed himself on the cross on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. And the presence of the church is the only resistance that this revolution needs to know. Not marching up and down the street, not making noise. God has chosen you and me. And, and you know, I, I sometimes curiously sing, then you know what I'm going to say. I am, I am living day by day, and as I stand here, this is the truth, that God is going to make himself known from Sodoville Church. I don't know how. Because God, does, God, does, God doesn't need spears and numbers and budgets. You know what he needs? Faithful people. He needs David that will trust him in the dark as he did when the, the, the lion came, when nobody was seeing, and when the bear came and nobody was seeing. And David said, the Lord delivered me then. And if we can trust God in private, we will be willing to trust God in public. We're not going to make a noise, but we're going to be faithful to God. And the world would look at us, Sodoville, who has to worry about them? My friends, if the Lord, if, if the battle, if the battle is the Lord's, the Lord will fight the battle with us. And it is the Lord's. Let me go quickly to the, the, the message to Goliath. The message to Goliath. <laughs> Look at verse 40. In verse 40, Saul gave David his armor, and David said, I, I can't do that. And verse 40, he took his stick in his hands and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had, even his pouch, and his sling was in his hand. <laughs> I love that. When I was in Israel, we went to Elah. And, and I went off and I was looking on the ground. I was like this and someone said, Thurton, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to see if I can find a stone with blood on it. <laughs> you would be surprised how many books have been written concerning why he took five smooth stones. I read one of those books, what each stone represented. Why did he take five and not one? Just in case the one didn't work, use another one. That was all the answer. There isn't anything to it. He took five. Okay, the first one worked. I don't need the four. If the first one doesn't work, I'll try a second one. But here, here, here my friends, here, here's what David did. David said, I come, I come. At the present time when David was facing Goliath, he came with a certain disposition. And what was that disposition? That disposition was absolute trust in God. 
That disposition was that I, I know he's tall, I know he's strong, I know he has everything I don't have, but I have God. And as someone said, with God, one is the majority. As I was doing this, I thought of the little song we used to sing as a, as a young Christian that uh, David was a wee little lad and a wee little lad was David. David used to pray and sing and David lived by a rippling brook and David took five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his sling <laughs> and the stone in the sling went round and round and round and round and round and round and hit the target and the, the giant came down. Please listen, friends. When God gives the victory, you and I will experience, but we will not be able to interpret it. It is not by might. It is not by power. It is by my spirit, says the Lord. We will know. How, how, how did this change come about? Warren Worsby used to say before he was taken home to glory, he used to say this, gentlemen, if you can explain what is happening in your church, chances are God isn't doing it. <laughs> because the spirit moves, my friends, in a way that only God can move. Let me close quickly with this. We looked at the defeat, the mistake that Goliath made. He thought David was just a single little upstart. We heard the message that David said, I come to you. And now we look at the defeat or the mastery over Goliath. And I just want to mention two things that that stone represented. Two things. That stone that David used was a stone of faith. A stone of faith. He believed God. That thing could not hit the target unless God guided it there. And God will know how to direct our efforts, whatever we are doing in his name, he will know how to direct that thing to the place where it will do the most damage where Satan has been doing his thing. Only God can do that. That's a word we use for providence. But then, my friends, there's one other word. The other side of that coin, it's not only faith, it's prayer. It is prayer. Please hear me again. Prayer is essential and continual in any battle. The word come is in the present tense, speaking of David's communion with God. And when Jesus came from, Mount, from the top of the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration and he found the disciples at the bottom of the hill defeated and a man came and said, my son had this disease and the disciples could do nothing of it and Jesus did what was necessary to heal the boy. And in private, they ask Jesus, why couldn't we do it? Listen to the words of Jesus. This kind, this kind can only come out by prayer. Can only, there's, there's, no other, there's no other answer. Faith and prayer. And my friends, if you and I make this year at Soderville Church a year of faith and prayer, we will see the Goliaths we face in our personal life, in our cultural life, in our social life, we will see those Goliaths destroyed. Because God has left us in this world 
to be his representatives, his light, his truth. We are to be to the world what Jesus Christ himself was when he was here. We are called to be the people of truth, says Albert Muller. Even when the truth is condemned and denied by the culture around us, the scriptures have not changed, the gospel of Jesus Christ has not changed, the mission of the church has not changed. We will face the year 2020 in the name of the Lord our God. Let's pray. Father, this is the word I believe that you would want us to hear even as I heard it in preparation. Stir our hearts, Lord. Help us not to be silent, but to be able to make our voices heard in heaven on the behalf of the church and our own world in the revolution that is taking place, the Goliath that we're facing. But I pray that we will meet this Goliath not in our strength, but in the strength which God gives to those who serve him. And so, friends, just for a few moments, I wonder if you would, where you sit, reaffirm your confidence to God about him, his word, and his church, and your desire to be like David, to come and to face the new year by trusting God, by making a fresh commitment to him and to allow him to work in us and through us so that we might do exploits for God. Would you take a moment and make such a commitment if God moved you to do so? Father, I pray that the voice we hear in our hearts would be the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, this is the way, walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen.